0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard, Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am great. I tell you what, I am great, too. We are on the heels of a phenomenal episode about the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. If you missed that one, it is in the archives and maybe one of our most uh, well-reviewed shows so far. Would you agree, Bruce? Got a lot of feedback online, and thank you to
1: everybody who shared the Terry Betteridge uh, vignette, the WWE did a lot of great information in there, brought back some great memories. And Terry looks like he has an
0: age today. Uh, what Bruce is talking about is the, uh, WWE archivist Ben Brown took Joey styles to the jewelry store where the million dollar belt came from a few years ago, uh, for their segment they did for YouTube about the WWE warehouse. So if you haven't seen that, throw it in your Google machine, uh, and they'll kind of go into more detail of about how the belt was made And that is readily available right there on Google as well as the WWE's YouTube channel. Uh, A couple of the loose ends from last week that uh, we got lots of questions about, Bruce, that I want to kind of touch up with you. Um, We didn't mention the Million Dollar Man and Virgil's appearance on Arsenio Hall or his famous appearance on the Lifestyles of Rich and Famous. Those are fun. Do you have any memories of either one of those that you want to tag on or just encourage people to check them out?
1: Well, we did kind of talk a little bit about DiBiase being on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. We used Vince's house for that. We used Vince's Excalibur and the the big uh, fur coat and stuff. So that was, that was just a lot of fun. That was uh, the second time that I had had the pleasure of working with Robin Leach. And he was a character. Robin Leach, of course, the host of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. We had used him at WrestleMania in Atlantic City at WrestleMania 4. And he was a character. He was just a really character and a big
0: fan of the wrestling business. Uh, any perceived heat? Uh, did you guys get any sort of backlash from the mainstream media or any sort of uh, groups, I guess, for the way Virgil was portrayed? And I know we're kind of treading on a a weird spot here, but uh, he's a black man and he was positioned as a manservant, you know, fighting for his quote unquote freedom. So it seems like there's lots of weird racial overtones at the time, uh, but it was a different time. Do you recall any sort of letter writing campaigns or any sort of uproar? No, not of any magnitude. No, not at all. Uh, And and Virgil doesn't have a problem doing it. I mean, he got what the deal was and it's wrestling. It's supposed to be. Classless and tacky and whatever. I
1: prefer the term controversial.
0: Okay, yeah. You know what I mean. There we go. Um, one more thing we want to touch on on Million Dollar Man before we kind of get into this week's is maybe what the relationship was like with he and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And lots of questions online about how do you think Austin's arc, maybe his rise, so to speak, would have changed or been affected had DiBiase not left for WCW?
1: I don't think it would have been affected much at all because talent always rises to the top. And to the contrary, by putting Austin and DiBiase together right in the beginning with the Million Dollar Championship and the Million Dollar Belt, Steve went right on to matches on top with Shawn Michaels and WWF Championship and Steve came in on top by having a top guy like Ted DiBiase
0: managing him. Uh, They didn't always um, see eye to eye as far as I remember. I I feel like there was a time uh, where when uh, Ted was kind of getting out of wrestling and was very much into his ministry, he still is, Uh, but in the late 90s, he was not really happy with the WWF, uh, the Austin 316 gimmick. Uh, and lots of stuff like that that he felt like was just maybe a little sacrilege. Do you recall there being any sort of legitimate heat uh, with the company and DiBiase over him coming out so strongly about the, uh, about that, or maybe anything between Austin and DiBiase? I, I believe they're good today, but I mean back then. Between Austin
1: and Steve personally, I, I don't think there was any heat as far as how Ted felt the direction of the company was going. A uh, more, little more risque, a little more uh, edgy. R-rated, edgy. I know Ted was not in favor of that at all and was outspoken about it. He was outspoken about it to me. He was outspoken
0: about it to Vince and people backstage. And Water under the bridge now. Sure. Um, one last thing that we want to mention that really didn't have anything to do with the Million Dollar Man, uh, but we did get a few... Questions about Andre the Giant. Uh, we kind of touched on in our Million Dollar Man episode that he, for lack of a better word, kind of bullied uh, Big John Studd. And there is a certain section of fans online who question, hey, we always hear about, you know, Andre taking liberties with guys in the ring. Or uh, standing on their hair and trying to pull them up by their arms. Or... Uh, in this case, bullying John Studd into being out of the promotion. Does Andre get a pass on some of this behavior? Would he be viewed as favorably as he is? Because what you always hear about Andre is, oh, he was such a great guy, and he had such a tough time traveling, and, oh, you should see him drink. He once drank 100 beers in a single sitting, and he turned over a car once, and there's all these great, you know, fun antidotes. But then when you really kind of scratch beneath the surface, you hear about him – not being the nicest guy all the time he could be a mean nasty giant i think he does get a pass because he's andre
1: and is that fair i don't know if it's fair or not it's fair that he's seven foot four
0: and couldn't fit in chairs and couldn't fit in planes and let me ask you so this so if, forth. if big but, show was doing that today would would people perceive him differently
1: i think that If Big Show had been the attraction and done everything that Andre the Giant had done, he might have gotten a bit of a pass. I'm not saying it was right, because Andre would run guys off if he didn't like them. And people always ask, well, why did Andre do that? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? And it's a simple
0: answer, because he could. Different time, different place. Do you consider Andre a bully? Andre could be a bully, sure. Would you consider Andre a good guy? I would. He had a very good heart. Okay, so there you go. Uh, our topic this week, of course, is the man who is going to take his rightful spot in the WWE Hall of Fame very soon, Ravishing Rick Rude. He was born Richard Irwin Rude on December 7th in 1958 in St. Peter, Minnesota. And we talked a lot about Robbinsdale, Minnesota on our Mr. Perfect show. Uh, and if you missed that, I recommend you go check it out. It's available in the archives. We touched on how many famous and successful wrestlers came from that Robbinsdale, Minnesota High school, uh, Kurt Henning, Tom Zink, Nikita Koloff, Barry Dorso, John Nord, Brady Boone, lots of folks. uh, Specifically, the two who maybe had the most success and became the best of friends were Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect. Uh, And they carried that friendship through the end of Rick's life. Uh, Once he finished high school, uh, Rude started to work as a bouncer at Grandma B's, which is a pretty famous wrestling bar. Uh, in Minnesota, especially if you've ever seen the Road Warriors WWE DVD, they talk a lot about Grandma Bees. Did you ever visit Grandma Bees? I never did. Uh, but you're familiar with it. You've heard of it. I've you have know heard the of stories. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rude was also known as being one of the most legit badasses in the business. Uh, previous life, he was involved in arm wrestling, and in 1980, he placed second in the U.S. Nationals. And then in 83 in Las Vegas at the Arm Wrestling World Championships, he finished sixth in the heavyweight division. Uh, this begs the question, Bruce, did you ever see Rick uh, arm wrestle in the back? I can't say that I have because his reputation
1: preceded himself. And I don't think that anyone really wanted to get their arm broken and didn't
0: feel the need to get humiliated in front of a locker room. Um. Rick actually graduated community college with a degree in physical education and then decided to become a professional wrestler. Uh, His great friend, Kurt Henning, did the same. Uh, He was trained by Eddie Sharkey, who featured uh, many of the great wrestlers that you may know. Uh, He was their trainer. So the Road Warriors, Bob Backlund, Tom Zink, Jerry Lynn, Sean Waltman, uh, John Nord, Barry Darceau, Rick Steiner uh, Medusa, Jesse Ventura, even current roster wrestlers like Austin Aries and Eric Rowan. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the name Eddie Sharkey, but may not be familiar with the man. Tell us an Eddie Sharkey story or drop some knowledge on Eddie.
1: Well, Eddie had worked years previous and he worked in the old AWA for Vern Gagne Eddie didn't have a whole lot of success as a talent himself, but the people that Eddie helped get into the business from the road warriors all the way down to Austin Aries today. I think that that's what made Eddie Sharkey's legacy. And Eddie was a great guy. I think he was a tremendous trainer as is evidenced by the list of people that you just mentioned there. Yeah. So, um
0: tremendous tremendous guy and we got to be friends over the years. Uh Meltzer has reported uh that Sharkey the guy who trained Rick uh, was down on his luck. He had just gotten out of prison and was working as a referee for the WWF rude. By that time was a top star uh, and showed up at a card in Minneapolis and gave Sharkey a bag of cash with thousands of dollars in it. Do you remember this story? Were you there for this? I do remember that. And it was Rick Rude's way of paying Eddie Sharkey
1: back for all the help that Eddie gave him throughout the years. And I thought it was a great gesture.
0: It is a great gesture and tells you a lot about the character behind the man because that's not always the perception that we as fans have of Rick Rude, but it gives you a little bit of insight into that area of his life. Uh, and Sharkey shared some insight on other areas of his life. He said, quote, You can talk about this and that guy being a great shooter, but this guy kicked more ass than any of them. People don't realize how tough this guy really was. Nobody could come close to him. He'd slap guys with an open hand, and it looked like their head exploded. Did you ever see that? Thankfully, no. But we, we have heard the famous story. Uh, when he was in WCW, there was a 400-pound wrestler there who did a rapping gimmick. His, his gimmick name was P and News. Uh, they had an altercation with Rude, and Rude open-hand slapped him and knocked him unconscious. True or false? I
1: heard, that I heard about it. I wasn't there, but I did hear about it. Don't doubt it at all. Rick, Rick had a short fuse, and... If he wanted to knock your head off, (laughs) my money's on Rick Rude.
0: A lot of people who may not be as familiar with Rick Rude's career probably think that he uh, was just a star right away and was on top and was on TV and uh, was a household name thanks to the WWF, and he was somewhat of an overnight success. That would not be the case. He actually debuted in November of 1982 as Ricky Rude and lost to the Mid-Atlantic champion Paul Jones, Uh, Any memories of an up-and-coming Rick Rude as he kind of made his way through the territories? What what sticks out to you about his early territorial work? When Rick first started in the business, he was kind of viewed as a
1: tall, skinny, very uh, well-built, ripped-up basketball player. Yeah. And he hadn't really filled out. He hadn't toned his body yet. He was in great shape. But he wasn't Jack jacked. No, he wasn't Jack jacked, and he, he hadn't refined just his lean. He was He was very lean, and he
0: just needed a lot of, had a great look, but he just needed ring time. Uh, Rude eventually goes to uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, being brought in by Ole Anderson. That lasted a few weeks, and then he moved on to the Carolinas, where he stayed briefly before he went to Mid-South. Uh, finally, though, he landed up with, and I can't believe we're saying his name again. It feels like we work into every show. Jerry Jarrett. Uh, He is the person who finally gives Root a little bit of a push. Uh, He had him use the smooth operator ring music. Uh, He changed his last name from his shoot name of R-O-O-D to R-U-D-E and gave him the moniker ravishing to turn him into a big heel. Um, Does it pain you to give Jerry Jarrett credit for smooth operator and ravishing and R-U-D-E? No, it doesn't pain me at all. I don't think that that probably wasn't exactly the case. Jerry
1: Jarrett may have been in the state at the time that that gimmick was given to Rude, but I'm willing to bet it was probably Lawler or Dundee or Dutch Mantell or someone like that who came up with the idea, and Jerry might have presented it
0: because I don't believe Jerry has creative bone in his body. Uh, Rick would stay yeah. a heel. um. Uh, I mean, he's pretty creative with that damn chicken salad recipe. Well, you know, huh? you take the chick here, we, huh? uh Rude would stay a heel for the rest of his career. Why do you think being a heel just came naturally for Rick? I think Rick had
1: natural arrogance about him and came across as kind of cocky and conceited, good looking guy,
0: great body. Easy to hate. Yes. Uh, Rude would win the AWA Southern title from Jerry Lawler in June of 84 and even have a tag title run there with King Kong Bundy, defeating the fabulous Ones Steve Curran and Stan Lane, uh, names I know we'll get into on future episodes. He also makes a stop through championship wrestling from Florida. Uh, he works, uh, a Florida Southern heavyweight championship program with Pez Watley and Mike Graham. Uh, he even wins a tag title there with Jesse Barr. Eventually, though, he tags up with Percy Pringle, and Percy Pringle becomes his manager, uh, both in Florida and later on in Texas. Uh, wrestling fans today probably most commonly know Percy Pringle as Paul Bearer. Oh,
1: yes.
0: Well, a new impression today. Not mad at that one. Uh, in Paul Bear's shoot interview, he says that when he was wrestling, uh, when he was managing Rick Rude in Texas, uh, Rude would take his girlfriend to the bars after a show And then would intentionally sit apart from her just so guys would walk up and try to hit on her. And then Rude could make a big issue out of it and try to fight the guy. And and he says that Rude did this on a near nightly deal. Uh, So eventually when Rude gets the call to join Jim Crockett again in 1986, uh, Rude is pushing for Pringle to go. But Percy says he was uncomfortable with this bar situation and the fights and decided to just stay in Texas. Uh, eventually though, that would work out for him. He'd be called up and start as Paul bear. Uh, do you remember hearing anything about this, this little scam or situation or weird fetish that rude liked to use his girlfriend as bait for fights? I don't, I don't doubt it. You know, sure. Oh. It happened. Percy said it probably did happen before rude left for Crockett, uh, while he's working there in world-class, he'd feud with the Von Erichs, Bruiser Brody, um, and works some big shows, including the parade of champions, three show that drew like 24,000 fans, which is obviously a really big deal for world-class at the time. Uh, and then briefly, uh, while he's there, he works with the dingo warrior. Uh, any memories of the dingo warrior before he became the ultimate warrior? The dingo ate the baby. I mean, I think that's what everybody kind of thinks of there. Uh, is it? What do you think it was about Rude and Warrior that it made sense to pair them up in World Class, and then again twice in the WWF? Did they just have some sort of chemistry together? I think so. Similar body types, similar looks. Ultimate heel, ultimate babyface. Uh, when when Rick leaves the territory here and goes to Jim Crockett, uh, he starts a feud with Wahoo McDaniel, uh, who's an aging star at the time, and they uh, immediately uh, go ahead. One of the greatest absolute greatest native american uh wrestler ever he should be in the hall of fame this year he should have been in the hall of fame about 20 years ago but they're they're in florida do it put him in um rick teams with manny fernandez and uh, they win the nwa tag titles from the rock and roll express and you have to appreciate the rock and roll express were pretty damn over in 86 97 would you agree with that the most over tag team in the business Uh, So we're kind of setting the stage here. Rick has been all the way through all the territories, won a belt in seemingly every territory, been in a good program, uh, and then tagging with Manny Fernandez beats the top tag team probably in the country uh, to become the tag champions. And then all of a sudden, very suddenly, while he's still champ, leaves and goes north to join the World Wrestling Federation in July of 87. He comes in as part of the Heenan family. And I want to talk a little bit about Uh, Was it a coup to get a NWA tag team champion while he still got the belt? Is this a sign that the writing's on the wall? Uh, Their their financial problems had already begun in 87 compared to 86. They were just spending too much down there at Crockett and weren't really as profitable as maybe the top brass thought they were. Uh, What do you remember about that jump?
1: Well, I was coming in at the same time, so I wasn't as integrated into the inner circle Um, knowing about any of their recruiting or anything that came on. I was still living in Houston, commuting back and forth to Stanford, Connecticut. So Rick and I essentially kind of came in at about the same time.
0: And when when he comes in, as we said, uh, he's programmed with Bobby Heenan. Uh, Is this the old thing we've talked about in prior episodes, all heels must have a manager? Got to. Uh, Talk about the Bobby Heenan relationship, because there were times where Heenan would do shoot interviews and such, and he would say that Rude didn't like having Heenan as a manager. He felt like he took away from his heat, and he didn't think he needed him, so uh, Bobby acted like he didn't care, but he just wasn't really close with him at that time, and it wasn't the glowing relationship a lot of people maybe wanted to be.
1: Well, I don't know if how glowing of a relationship it ever was. I don't know that it ever was. But in later years, in particular when Rude had his issues with the Ultimate Warrior and they had their matches, I think Warrior felt that Heenan being on the outside kind of got in Rude's head and convinced Rude that Bobby was taking away Rude's heat because Bobby was getting a reaction on the outside. Right. And so – Bobby curtailed that greatly and Bobby went out and stood in the corner. Didn't do anything. Which doesn't help anybody. Because he didn't want to take heat away from anybody. But that was at the request of the performers in the
0: ring. How would Vince feel about something like that? He would probably back the performers. Okay. There you go. Uh, I mean, I guess it begs the question, if you don't want him to do his deal, why put him together? Well, that was something that eventually
1: happened and, kind of was created yeah but at first at first to come in and be a part of bobby heenan's family is a huge huge deal so it maybe didn't
0: have it probably didn't start bad no it didn't start bad uh so rude starts working with paul Orndorf, who at the time had just fired bobby heenan as his manager uh, and Orndorf is coming off being a really top guy here when he was a heel uh, he was programmed with hogan on the house shows they drew really big business together I uh, kind of set the stage for what a big star Paul Orndorff would have been in '87. Oh God,
1: Paul—he was a huge star in '87, but he also had neck issues, and the the neck and nerve issues had created atrophy on the left side of his body, where his his left arm, in comparison to his right arm, well,
0: looked like a the arm of a sixty-year-old man who had never worked out. And this happened. Uh, right in the middle of his monster push with Hogan. Uh, so he elected not to have the surgery and just power through because he didn't want to miss this opportunity. And unfortunately those problems lingered for the rest of his career. Correct. So
1: Paul was kind of on his way, kind of way on, on his way out of the spotlight. If you will.
0: Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect father's day gift idea? I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transform your photos into a one-of-a-kind hand-painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started, and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com terms for details So at the first Survivor Series in 87, uh, which would have been Rude's first pay-per-view with the company, Rick was involved in what many consider one of the best Survivor Series shows in history, especially when you consider just a star power lineup. Uh, Check this out. He teamed with Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, and Butch Reed to take on Hulk Hogan, Bam Bam Bigelow, Paul Orndorff, Ken Patera, and Don Morocco. All of these guys were top stars in their territories before they joined here. So this is a pretty big card for Rude to be involved in, especially just months after coming into the company. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, huge. He started right into the top spot. He was working a program with Orndorf
0: and got thrown right into the top spot. So great spot to be in. In that match, uh, Rick pinned Orndorf and then wound up being eliminated by Don Morocco. Uh, he doesn't keep this main event you know, spot for very long. Was he only in this spot because of his feud with Orndorff? Because it seems like after he's kind of pushed down a few notches. Well, again, there's only room for a couple guys at the top. Well, or one. Uh, At WrestleMania 4 in March, uh, Rick was involved in the world title tournament. He wrestled Jake Roberts to a time limit draw, and uh, both men were eliminated from the tournament. And this would kind of set the stage for his first major and most notable feud in the company. In my head... The two biggest feuds from his time in the WWF uh, are probably uh, Jake and Warrior. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, wh- what was the thinking in pairing Jake with Rude? Is this something where you guys think they can put on a good match? Uh, you know that they've got good promos for each other. Kind of talk us through the pairing, how that decision would have been made.
1: It was kind of hard to have a bad match with Jake the Snake and the psychology that Jake has. But it was simply, this was during time that Vince and Pat were doing the creative and writing the television shows and booking the towns. It was a good
0: match. They, they paired up nicely, and I dare say they told a great story out of it. We haven't talked about him a whole lot, um, but tell everybody who was probably the guy who put together Rick Rude's music. Jim Johnston. Uh kinda peek behind the curtain a little bit and don't you think Jim Johnston uh deserves to be in the WWE Hall of Fame? How is he not there? Can't tell you that. Don't know. In your opinion, does he deserve it? Sure.
1: There's uh, a lot of there's a lot of people behind the scenes that I believe there should be a wing of the WWE Hall of Fame that folks behind the curtain, if you will Deserve to be in, and Jim Johnston is one of those people. Yeah, here, here I'll get a bunch of people just going ape shit. Kevin Dunn should be in there. Kerwin Silfie should be in there. Um, they've been there since day one, and very, very important part of the production and the overall package
0: that is the WWE. Um. So on April thirtieth, Saturday night's main event, Rick defeats Coco. Beware. Uh, speaking of the hall of fame, Coco beware was in the hall of fame more than a decade before Rick Rude will get in. Uh, was that a rib? I wasn't there for that. So I don't know. You have to ask somebody that was on that committee. During this time, uh, Rick would start calling women from the crowd to come into the ring and he would give them the ravishing kiss. Uh, where did this idea come from? Can I guess this seems like since we know him from the kiss my ass club, this sounds like a Vince McMahon idea. Probably so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the natural question here is, how many of these women were plants and how many of them were real?
1: About 50-50, but they were all usually screened ahead of time. and, okay, and An right. agent would go out and look for attractive young ladies and ask them whether they'd
0: like to be a part of the show and receive a rude awakening. And Did they send uh, Pat Patterson to make the selections? Thank God, no. Did you make the selections? Sometimes. So what's the process here? You're just walking around before the show starts looking for hot chicks? Yes. And then you make the approach and you say... Hey, would you like to be on TV? Would you be interested in coming up and getting in the
1: ring and receive a rude awakening from Rick Root?" Ask them, you know, who Rick Root is and and, and what if, do you think? And if they say yes... If they say yes, we tell them what, would ha- what will happen. And we would usually... You know, we'd usually pick one. Sometimes we'd pick a couple. In case one Rick, got cold feet, yeah. And let Rick scan the crowd, and th- these are who you have to choose from.
0: And then he picked the one, come in and get the kiss. Uh, and then you'd have to have them sign a release. Would you do that before, or after the kiss? Oh, before. And there's rumor and in innuendo that sometimes you guys would pay the chicks. Are you saying BS on that, or is that legit? Some might have gotten paid, but for the
1: most part, they were volunteers. They were people that were there. It's amazing and, to me, and that would just want to be on TV. Okay, sure, I'll do it. Come on in, okay. Sign this
0: release. Thank you very much. Get to be on TV. Get kissed by Rick Root. That's awesome. It makes me happy. Um, well, I guess we should just tell the story here. There is a, there's a rumor out there that uh, once upon a time. Rick was uh, put in a bad spot. He was ribbed, maybe, by Jake the Snake Not a good Roberts. idea to, to rib Rick Rude. So the rumor and innuendo are Jake the Snake had a traveling companion, not his wife, uh, and she was a female and a traveling companion. And in the back, while they're all hanging out before the show, Rick says, that's who I'm giving the kiss to tonight. And Rude, I guess, um, at the time... Uh, was, was having the company pay 500 bucks and, uh, the girl protested said she didn't want to do it. Her traveling companion, Jake Roberts said, Hey, it's $500. You should do that. And she eventually agrees to do it. So Jake talks her into, uh, some Lewinsky action. And then when the ravishing kiss happens, afterwards in the ring allegedly according to the rumor in innuendo, she would say to rude that was a present from jake true or false true you heard this story yes okay what well, was what's the blowback on 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 rick uh, i mean on the on jake the snake when rick rude finds out that he uh he just got Lewinsky mouthed
1: I don't think he was very happy. You know, again, it goes to rumor and innuendo as to what actually happened. I didn't witness any acts actually take place other than the kiss in the ring. But the rumor and innuendo would have you believe that that Jake put uh, this young lady up to this and that Rude got a little pissed off.
0: Wow. Um I don't know what to say about this. Well, eventually they do the angle. Let's get to it. Uh, Rick calls a woman into the ring. She refuses to come in. So he goes down to her. Uh, she is asked by him, who is the sexiest man in the WWF and why is it ravishing Rick rude? And she says, no. Well, if you didn't come to see me, who'd you come to see? She says my husband. So Rick asks, what does he do? She says he's a professional wrestler. He asks who it is. And she says, Jake, the snake Roberts. So Rick calls Jake a sleazy, low-down, worthless piece of garbage. She slaps Rick, and then Rick grabs her wrist, and Jake comes down to start their brawl. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Cheryl, Jake's wife, and the decision to involve her in an angle. This is kind of ahead of its time in 1988, uh, because this feels like something that would have been from years later, at least in my mind.
1: Well, yes, Cheryl was Jake's real-life wife. I tell you, one of the things that I really wanted to do on that, when Jake came down, I wanted Jake to come out um, with a towel around him, still soapy with shampoo in his hair and, and running down, soaking wet and trying to keep the towel on and all this other stuff. Of course, that got vetoed. But I always I just always love that one guys because he came down, he had his pants on and uh shirt off, but it just adds a bit of realism that he's in the shower, he's washing his hair, and some but say, somebody says, Hey Jake, Rude's trying to uh kiss your wife and you run and you <laughs> go out. I just wanted that visual. Got overruled,
0: got vetoed. You wanted he? to say Jack Roberts in the shower? Which is why you put him in there with the snake. You love. What is wrong with you? I don't know. You're the one who wants to see Jake Roberts in the shower. Why is this a me thing? With a towel. Okay. God damn. Uh, So it's really his wife. Is this in the book of bad ideas, bring your wife on the road? I would say for most
1: people, it wouldn't be in the book of great ideas. I mean, we just told a story where he had a traveling companion. Um, I don't think that girl was a traveling companion, by the way. Might have been, but I don't know. Well, I don't know she? who she was. She was somebody that was there at that TV that did the Rude Awakening. So, and I don't know. I, she I, I did a little more than
0: that. Rumor and <laughs> innuendo says that. Um, so, talk about bringing your wife on the road in 1988.
1: I wasn't married in 1988, so I would never do anything like that.
0: If you would have been, how long would you have been married? I. I like to keep business and. My
1: personal life separate, but probably not, probably not the wisest of, of moves, but at the same time, it worked.
0: How was she to work with?
1: Oh, Cheryl was great. She was easy.
0: She Uh, was a pro. Sometimes when you're working with people's family members, it's not always easy though. You're saying she's definitely on the easier scale. She was on the easier scale. She had a clue. Um, She had good timing. She had natural instincts. She didn't overact. Can you compare and contrast uh, the relationship with the only other relationship that we know about? And it's kind of famous amongst fans. At the time, uh, in this same locker room, you have Miss Elizabeth and the Macho Man. And we've covered some of his paranoia before with her. Uh, Does any of that weirdness exist, to your knowledge, with Jake and Cheryl?
1: Not backstage, no. I, I say... Jake was probably overprotective outside of the arena with fans and things like that in bars and in public going through airports than he would have been before with Cheryl because she was on TV. But once I got backstage with the rest of the talent that I never really saw any paranoia or
0: cool craziness. Uh, so Jake and Rick continue their feed through the summer. And on the August 7th edition of the wrestling challenge, Rick's tights have Cheryl's face on them. This is genius. Whose idea was this. I think it's Rick roots. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And it goes to show the, the level of talent and the level of input that talent used to have and how guys used to get over, they had to come up with ideas and they had to come up with their own promos, their own gear to help people remember them and to be able to stand out from the pack and this is rick rude's idea and one that i think kind of defined him in a lot of respects
0: uh i think it was a really awesome touch you know it really completed his package you know with the the theme music the speech beforehand the swivel hips the yeah like his package oh my gosh i don't like as much as you do rude in the shower So, obviously, in uh, 1988, uh, having someone's wife on your tights is a big deal. Um, Let's talk about SummerSlam 88. But before we do, I believe when they were promoting SummerSlam 88, uh, Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan appeared on Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. uh, And Rude did the same reveal spot with his robe. And Kathy Lee's face was spray-painted or airbrushed, rather, onto his crotch. He does the swivel hips and then begins to pursue Kathy. She runs away, um, and actually runs up to the second level of the set. And supposedly the rumor and innuendo would have you believe that, uh, Frank was kind of half hot about this true or false. I never heard, heard that. I know that Kathy Lee wasn't always a
1: fan of having wrestlers on Regis and Kathy Lee Regis was Regis loved wrestling business has always been a friend of the business dating back to when Regis first started in radio and television in Los Angeles. He befriended Freddie Blassie, always had Blassie on his show. They both moved to New York and were always friendly. And Regis loved the business and loved having the boys on. So Regis liked it. I don't think Kathy was ever really happy whenever any of the wrestling talent would appear on the show. Uh,
0: at the first SummerSlam... Uh, 1988, Rick wrestles the Junkyard Dog, and during the match, he pulls down his tights, and underneath, he's wearing another pair of tights, which, again, have Cheryl's face on them. Uh, So Jake comes out and attacks Rude, giving him the DQ win. This feels like a Vince McMahon idea. Is this a Vince McMahon idea?
1: I'm going to bet this was probably a Pat Patterson idea, because I can hear it now with... Laying out the match. And then Jacobs, and he pulls the tights, and he pulls the tights, and, oh, my God, there's another pair of tights with my wife, and you got their face, and it's right there on your
0: crotch. And, oh, boy, that face will go banana. (laughs) Um, So this obviously sets up uh, the, the feud even further. And on October 24th, 1988 at MSG, Rick and Jake wrestle in a match known as a finisher match, where it can only be won if Rude finishes with the Rude Awakening, or Jake uses the DDT. Uh, During the match, Cheryl tries to slap Rick, but he blocks it. So when he turns around, Jake hits him with the DDT for the win. Uh, On the October 29th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event, Rick lost to Jake by DQ. And this seemingly ends their feud. And I found that a little odd that this didn't get blown off on a pay-per-view. I know maybe SummerSlam was a little too early, uh, having only had a few weeks into it, at least from TV time. But then we're done with it, you know, by the end of October. Um, why was the decision made to end it here and not a big blow-off at a pay-per-view? Different, different time, different way of doing business.
1: We programmed issues and angles. To run in the house shows first and we didn't go right to pay-per-view pay-per-views were special we didn't have one a month or two a month at the time so we had to get the the house show run out of major angles and everything first and then they would
0: culminate on a pay-per-view usually uh, so survivor series rolls around this time rude is teaming again with andre the giant dino bravo mr perfect and harley race let's run through that team again Ravishing Rick Rude, Andre the Giant, Mr. Perfect, Harley Race, and Dino Bravo. That's like that old Sesame Street. Which one of these is not like the other? Uh, they defeat the team of Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Scott Casey, Ken Patera, and Tito Santana. In the match, Rick pins Ken Patera, and then he's pinned by Jake Roberts. At the Royal Rumble in 1989, we have the Super pose Down with the Ultimate Warrior, and this is just awful to watch now. Painful. Uh, it ends with Rude attacking Warrior and beating him with the metal pose bar. This is obviously trying to set up their WrestleMania 5 match. At the time, it's worth mentioning that Warrior is the Intercontinental Champion, having won it from the Honky Tonk Man in very quick fashion at SummerSlam 88. Uh, tell me your memories about this super pose down and why it was just so god awful.
1: Well,. It was god kind of awful because the whole spot was when they were doing their poses in the background. Whenever Warrior was posing in the background you would see Rick Rude with the bottle of baby oil and oiling up and uh getting the sheen on. So at the right time as Warriors posing, they were gonna hit Warrior with the baby oil in the eyes, and Warrior would sell that as if he were blinded and then Use the Flex bar to nail the Warrior. The only problem is, is when they squirted the baby oil in Warrior's eyes, he no-sold it, and they squirted it forever. And he sat there with his mouth open like he's drinking the <laughs> shit. He's going to eat it. Just absolutely no-sold it at all. And Sarut so just went right to the beatdown, and
0: it was a hell of a beatdown. A couple of those are pretty stiff. They were. They were a little stiff, man. Uh, on March 11th 1989 the Saturday Night's Main event Rick loses to Brutus the Barber Beefcake by DQ yep
1: gotta get him ready
0: <laughs> you gotta help me okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna pro I need you to sell me on this like like Vince did what we- god
1: damn pal you're going with the warrior mania get beefcake over
0: You're going to win the Intercontinental Championship from the Warrior, who's probably undefeated at this time. Yeah, he is undefeated, and you're going to be the first guy to beat him. So to get you ready for that, let's have Beefcake beat you. Sure. That way people can't call it.
1: People are thinking, oh, well, he lost to Beefcake. He's surely
0: going to lose to Warrior. Then we (laughs) shock (laughs) him. Oh, my God. This feels like uh, current-day booking. Yeah, a little different philosophy sometimes. I mean, uh, you're trying to apply
1: logic to an illogical situation.
0: It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, on April 5th, it's, uh, I'm sorry, WrestleMania Five On April 2nd, 1989, Rick pins the Ultimate Warrior. And if you remember the finish of this match, uh, Warrior is trying to suplex uh Rude from the outside in, uh, and when he does so, Bobby Heenan grabs the Warrior's leg, Rude falls on top of Warrior, and Heenan holds down Warrior's leg, uh, allowing Rude to score the pin and become the Intercontinental Champion. And this is, I guess, uh, the first of two pinfall losses for the Warrior in the WWF, the other being Sergeant Slaughter beating him for the WWF World title in our 1991 Royal Rumble uh, which is going to be a poll topic. So if you'd like to hear more about that, stay tuned to the end of the, sh- end of the show. Uh, it's on this coming week's poll. Why well, was the decision made to have Rude be the first guy to beat the Warrior? Well, oh, somebody's got to beat him eventually. So Yeah, ask Nash and Goldberg.
1: Just a situation where Rick Rude's the one, put the championship on him, and then have Warrior chase him you know the other notable thing from this match i don't know why this just popped into my head it was the one and only time you ever saw a warrior wear those hideous black boots that he wore
0: yeah i remember that because of uh the only reason i remember is hanging holding it down right um it feels as if rude took a lot of pride in being the intercontinental champion Uh, i don't know that we've talked about it before but uh, he had the Intercontinental title spray, not spray painted, airbrushed onto his tights. I keep saying spray painted, airbrushed onto his tights. And he even had the belt modified to add a couple extra rows of snaps. Did the guys get to change the belt up like that? I know that's kind of a random question, but we touched on Macho Man winning the world title at WrestleMania 4, and he would go to take those snaps off and then replace it with Velcro. And now here, Rude's adding extra rows of snaps. Did you guys just send the belt back to Reggie to do that? Or did you have a prop guy do it locally? Do the guys just kind of get to do what they want? How no, does that you'd, happen?
1: you'd send it back to Reggie Parks, who did the belts, and Reggie would add that because Rick had a very slender waist. Yeah. And... He wanted it tight and to be able to wear, actually wear it, not just drag it to the ring and throw it over his shoulder. He wanted to wear it, so had some extra snaps put on. But those calls were the individual talent. If they were going to hold it for a while, what made them more comfortable so
0: they could actually wear the championship and look right? Um, where is rude, you know, you, you hear famously there's guys who would criticize Bret Hart. And when I say that, I mean. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, guys like that. They would say that he would be willing to make less money if it meant that he were champion. He really valued the position of being champion. Did Rude care about belts? It feels as if he took a lot of pride in being intercontinental champion here, but that could just be me freestyling that as a fan. Rude was a businessman. Rude, as
1: long as his check was on time and he was getting paid, he didn't care.
0: All right. That's cool. Uh, On the May 27th edition of Saturday night's main event, uh, Rick is defending the Intercontinental title against King Duggan, but loses the match by count out. And then he would eventually lose the Intercontinental title back to the Warrior at SummerSlam. Uh, So now here we are, SummerSlam 89. Uh, He's finishing up his deal with the Warrior here for the Intercontinental title. Uh, And to kind of freshen him up for the next feud, Roddy Piper comes down to ringside and distracts Rude by flipping his kilt up and mooning him, which allows the warrior to hit Rick with a German suplex, the press, and the splash, uh, and immediately get Rick programmed with Piper. Why was the decision made to put them together? This is at a time where uh, Piper had stepped away from the business for a little while, went and made some movies after WrestleMania three. And now he's back. Would he have had the ability to go to Vince and say, "Hey, I'd like to work with Rude"? Well, everybody's got the ability to go there and make suggestions.
1: It's ultimately Vince's call and or Pat's call. But it was it was a good matchup. They they were contrasting styles, and Piper was extremely colorful and rude. Uh, same thing. So it was it was just a good matchup. But I think back, I listen to you, you talk about the ending of the match with Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude where Piper comes out and the finish is a distraction when another man lifts his kilt to expose his ass, which is covered by blue trunks. So, really, Robbie's wearing more than what the guys in the ring are wearing and just flips up his kilt and shows us, God,
0: we did some silly shit. <laughs> Does some of this uh, bring back these silly shit memories? Hogan must pose. Uh, Survivor Series 89, Rick captains the Roods Brood Team, which consists of himself, Mr. Perfect, and the Fabulous Russo's, and they defeat Rowdy's Roddy's. Uh, which was Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, and the Bushwhackers. Uh, In the match, Rick pins Bushwhacker Luke and was eliminated in a double countout with Roddy. Perfect would go on to be the sole survivor of the match. Uh, And then Rude would compete in the Royal Rumble match in 1990. He comes in at number 28 and is eliminated by Hercules. Uh, And then he is a part of the Warriors' elimination uh, before being eliminated himself by Hogan and Perfect. Perfect on january 27th 1990 edition of saturday night's main event rick fights dusty Rhodes to a double count out uh, this breaks the question was there ever a finish on saturday night's main event it feels as if everything's a fucking count out or a dq it's some sort of blow off finish I'm sure there were finishes Just for the big matches hell no uh, on the July 28th Saturday night's main event, Rick is back in the main event picture challenging the Ultimate Warrior, but this time. Do you want to understand why? Why what? Why there were no finishes on Saturday night's main event? Because nobody wanted to lose on TV.
1: No, no, no. Because, again, the house show model. You wanted people to go pay to get a finish. If you're giving it away for free on television, the idea was that television was your commercial to get people to buy tickets in the arenas and or pay-per-view, uh, four times a year at this point. And you, you got your heat, you built your controversy, you created your interest on TV and the idea behind it was you don't give finishes. They got to pay for that. They had to pay in the, in the live events. So you wanted them to get up off their ass and go, go
0: to the arenas to get the finish. Was that hard? Was what hard? over here pulling fucking teeth, and you gave a great answer, but I had to talk about it. You for, didn't ask me that. I've said DQ and fucking count out 19 times. These are cues. You said, like did, a, you, a, said, a, you said, did they ever get a finish? I said, sure. They did. This is like fucking pulling teeth. Well, I don't like Dennis. The only way this would be harder would be if you were in a bar right now or driving a car. Um so July twenty eighth, Saturday night's main event. Uh Rick was back in the main event picture challenging the Ultimate Warrior, but this time for the world title. Uh any guess what happened in the match? What happened? Warrior won by DQ. <laughs> <laughs> uh Rick would then work an angle with the Warrior, which of course led to their cage match for the WWF title at SummerSlam. And here we had some fun vignettes uh that Rude does to show himself training for the match. Uh, the first one is of him hitting a speed bag uh, with Warrior's face painted on the speed bag. Uh, then he's in the ring with Bobby, and they're doing some mitt work uh, with boxing gloves. And Warrior's face is painted on both both of the uh, mitts. And then in this vignette, uh, we notice that Rude has cut his trademark long curly hair. Uh, was this idea... Vince's to cut the hair what happened here
1: no it was rude's idea to cut the hair change his look up he'd also kind of gone on a a wacky crazy diet and workout regiment where he was working out several times a day eating a lot of lean food a lot of vegetables and drinking these crazy uh spinach and green bean shakes and uh, just trying to change his overall look get a lot leaner and more ripped up
0: and is any of this, uh, do you think do you think he's doing any of this in response to Vince McMahon telling him he doesn't like the way he looks? No. No, simply to try and reinvent himself. Well, it came out in the testimony of the steroid trial that we talked about, that, which is an episode that is available for download in the archives, uh, that Rude testified that McMahon told him he wasn't happy with his look, that he needed to work on it. And so, of course, the prosecution wanted to say, oh, so he told you to take steroids. And Rude said something along the lines of uh, not in those words. So do you think this timeline lines up with that, or is this a different thing?
1: Uh, I don't know. I I don't really know. I didn't study his testimony. I don't know. I know that Rick himself was into reinventing himself and getting himself in this different crazy shape and changing the look with the, the short hair because nobody had short hair at the time.
0: Did he feel like he needed to do that because he was going to be in the main event and it was a big man territory? He
1: wanted to... He had taken some time off prior to that. I don't know if it was because he and his wife had wanted to have children and they were um, trying to have kids or they had just had a kid and Rick had wanted some family time. So Rick had taken some time off and during that time off... A lot of times when guys would have time off, they'd come back. Nine out of ten of them would come back out of shape, not ready to go. Rick wanted to be completely the opposite. Rick wanted to come back, ripped to shreds, looking great and ready to go.
0: Uh, One of the vignettes here is he does a rope climb to the top of the ceiling. Uh, Hands only. Tell everybody about the level of difficulty for that
1: extremely hey man go go to the gym go grab a rope go to your high school and try and climb a rope try and climb it with your whole body using your legs and everything not easy and rude doing this hand over hand with no legs to help him that is really difficult and had to do it several times because of our wonderful production department would either miss the shot or want to get a different angle or want to Who, get a who different, missed the shot Oh, I'm not going to mention Kerwin Sylphie's names. No, Kerwin. (laughs) I love Kerwin. Kerwin's a great director. But sometimes through the years, that would be one of my big pet peeves is that the audio guy or the lighting guy or the camera guy would shoot it. Oh, well, I didn't get that just right. When somebody's trying to do an extremely incredible and unique physical feat that they can probably only do one or two times. And then production misses it, and, and just nonchalantly, oh, yeah, do that again. Risk your life one more time for us. And Rick climbed that damn rope several times.
0: So, you know, seeing him working with the speed back here, hitting the mitts, and, and there's even uh, a shot of him sprinting on the beach. This feels like a Rocky ripoff. dun, 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 dun. 100 (laughs) percent fuck yeah man i was a rocky
1: fan rude was a rocky fan uh so where did you guys produce these what did you do with these uh... tampa florida tampa florida on the beach in a gym that rick frequented when we were shooting these ran into greg valentine dick slater
0: um luna vachon it was So this is just like a regular hangout for the boys to go work out.
1: This was a particular gym that was a good gym that had a lot of workout equipment, but also happened to have a ring. Okay. Yep. And a lot of the guys lived in Tampa. They enjoyed the climate. And it was easy to get in and out of. And the taxes.
0: There you go. A lot of the guys live in Florida now. We're, just for that. Uh, we're not supposed to say that this week. We're oh, supposed to lay out a lost. week. Uh, so it's SummerSlam 90. I can say it. Rude loses the match in the main event, uh, to the warrior, the big blue cage. Um, this is positioned as the main event because it's the world title, but the hot angle leading into this is the return of Hulk Hogan after being squashed by earthquake. Why was earthquake Hogan, not the main event? Why did it not go in last? Cause this was the WWF championship. It was a way to try and position warrior as the top guy and still trying at this point. Haven't yeah. totally given up yeah um any memories of the match here big blue i thought it was a good match from what i
1: remember yeah it was it was what it was i thought rude got as much as he possibly could
0: out of warrior and they had a they had a good outing we talk about belts uh quite a bit here on the show in this particular match uh summertime 1990 warrior has the baby blue strap on the world title and that thing is beat to shit. I mean, it's missing parts. It's broken. It's damaged to all hell and back. Um, did Warrior have a reputation? I mean, at one point, I think he even just throws it off the top of the cage. Um, did Warrior have a, a reputation for disrespecting the belt? Was there any heat on that? Not Warrior just, had a
1: reputation for disrespecting everything. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't care. And when here's my issue with that. If you, as a talent, treat the championship as if it's just a piece of shit, then that's all it will be—is a piece of shit. If you're just throwing it, you're, you're throwing it around. And you don't care about it. Why should anyone else? If you treat it like gold and you treat it like something special, then it will become something special.
0: I, I can't argue that at all. Um, that's for- why,
1: and, and that's why you know I even go back to. When guys would go out to the ring, Rock used to drive me nuts because Rock a lot of times would just carry the belt and drag the belt to the ring and throw it, same thing, throw it in the ring. I'd be like, guys, Steve too. Steve would do it too. But when he went out for the match, a lot of times we got him. You know, you, you want a guy to wear the championship, be proud to be champion, wear the belt, go out and be champion. Yeah. So. Is that old school of you? That is old school of me, probably. But I, I, think it still holds. You know, it's just fundamental.
0: I mean, by comparison, though, it was a, it was a cool deal when Rude was the Intercontinental Champion, and he would open the robe and do the big reveal and the belts there. Uh, I mean, it adds part to it. Adds credibility to the championship, but also a sense of pride. It means something to that person for him to take that time to do that, as opposed to just beating it to shit. Right. I agree. Uh, let's touch on the Rick Rude Warrior feud one last time before we kind of move on here. Uh, there's lots of rumor and innuendo uh, that for years and years there was heat between the two, uh, to the point that they actually got into a fight and Rude beat him up. Do you remember this fight?
1: I don't. You know, Rude beat him up in the ring plenty of times. There was, I know, there was an issue. This is a funny side story. When Ultimate Warrior was going around and working with Andre the Giant, we talked about Andre a little bit earlier and being a bully and what have you. Ultimate Warrior would walk into the dressing room every single night, and Andre would be sitting in the middle of the dressing room with the table set up, playing cribbage with someone, usually Arnie Skoland or Tim White or someone. And Warrior would come in, always have a bottle of French wine, and... Put a bottle of wine in front of Andre. Hey, boss. And bring him a special bottle of wine every single night they worked. Rude sees this, and Rude got upset thinking, you know, I worked with this son of a bitch every night. Took all of his shit. Right. Busted my ass trying to get him over. I never, you know, He goes, I don't drink fucking French wine, but I didn't even get a bottle of Gatorade from the motherfucker. Now that was said and that was said in my presence i was actually said to me you know by rick so there was a little resentment there it was kind of that okay i'm out there getting your ass over i'm out there working my ass off to try and help you and you don't do shit for me but andre so you're afraid of getting the shit
0: beat out of you and some of that he spills over to the office huh uh, we'll get there um there's been lots of talk that Hogan didn't want to work a program with rude because it's a natural question. Hey, he's, he's one of the top heels. It's fair to say that rude's one of the top heels in the company at the time, right? Sure. So it seems like a natural thing for Hogan to be programmed with one of the top heels, but rude never really gets his shot. Um, bischoff and uh flair have both talked about how hogan didn't really want to work with rude and that never really happened whether it was in the wwf or wcw i know some of you are going to tweet me there is a match out there uh, where rude wrestled hogan and it's on some obscure dvd and i know he wrestled a few times on house shows blah 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 but i mean there's no considerable program why do you think that is i don't know maybe that's the case maybe hogan just didn't want to work
1: with him and Made it known that he didn't wish to work with Rick
0: for whatever reason. Rick attributes some of that to Warrior's um, uh, self-medication and maybe that he had some issues. And uh, I think Bischoff referred to him once as the Tasmanian Devil. Uh, Was Hogan scared that Rude would hurt him? not like in a fight but just he was a reckless worker he was careless he would maybe be more likely to injure him or did he feel like he was going to be inebriated and kind of not of sound mind in the match do you think any of that has any credence or is that just Bischoff and flair
1: I would say that from my experience working with Rick Rude I never found him to be inebriated or impaired in any way before he ever went out in the ring um, if people felt that way, you know, maybe they felt that way. I don't, I don't know how Hulk felt. He never expressed that to me. So you never heard Hogan shit on Rude at all. I didn't know. Okay. Uh, saying that he
0: didn't want to work with him and and maybe he told Eric and maybe he told Flair. Uh Rude leaves the WWF not too long after SummerSlam and this seems weird that he trains for this big comeback and works really really hard uh to get his diet right and it's in the main event and then he's gone. Uh, Meltzer reports that while he's out with a a torn tricep, he's still being promoted to wrestle on house shows against Warrior, even though the company knew he wasn't going to be there. Uh, Rude felt that since his name and likeness was being used to draw those crowds for the shows, uh, even though he wasn't going to be on them, he felt like Vince was still paying him very little. Uh, So Rick quits the WWF because he's unhappy over his payoffs here. Uh, And even after he quits, the WWF continued to advertise him on house shows for over a month. Uh, Meltzer would say that he spoke to J.J. Dillon at the time about this, who was working in the front office for Vince. And Dillon's position was that the WWF felt that since Rude's contract hadn't expired and since the official release had not yet been signed, they had every right to advertise him to appear, even though they knew uh, that he was not there and he had quit. But they felt, who knows? He may decide to come back, and at that point, it wouldn't be false advertising. Where are you on this? Was it right of the company to not pay rude the way he felt he should have been paid? Well, he was paid. He was paid,
1: but he didn't show up to the event. He was advertised for the event. He, quote, quit, but he was still under contract. You didn't know if they could reconcile at any point and he would come back. But Rick did not go to the live events. They had to replace him with someone of equal or greater value, and you had to pay that person. But because Rick was injured and at home, Vince still paid him something. But he didn't go. He didn't go. He didn't go do a – cut a promo. He didn't show up at the event. So, no, I don't think that he was due the same amount of pay as if he had shown up and worked the event or even gone out and cut a promo. We'll come back
0: to that. Was J.J. Dillon um – espousing the company line and do you tow that same line that hey even though we know he's not coming we should still advertise him because he might show up well there's
1: two sides to that too advertising was a lot different animal at that time we didn't have the internet we didn't have the ability to change advertising you had to do your advertising six to eight weeks in advance a lot of times a lot more than that it wasn't that easy to just call up a newspaper and say hey we need to change our ad slick and replace rick Rude, especially when you don't know whether or not you know what he could change his mind and come back he's still under contract we're still working to resolve this situation so it wasn't a okay he's quit he's gone it was he says he quits i quit well hang on you're still under contract and let's work this thing out And trying to work through it is what was taking place. And so I I don't fault the company for how they handled it.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, the rude thing with him. You said he didn't show up to the events. Are you saying that he just no-showed the towns? Yes. Yes. He said, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm not going to, you know, wasn't going to make the town. So he at least communicated
1: to somebody that he wasn't coming. I guess. I don't know. I assume so. Yeah. I don't know. Did he tell me? I wasn't in that department at the time. I was doing TV. So well, you I, just I said he no showed. I know he didn't make the events. Okay. And you even said he didn't make the events and, but he was still paid for him. He still got something for them because he had been advertised in them. But he didn't show up. He didn't go out and cut promos. He didn't make the towns in the
0: main event. If he would have been, because obviously people are coming at this time because they're fresh off of the SummerSlam match, everything that's built up, you know, this feud with Warrior and Rude, they want to see it again when it comes to their town. So it's doing decent enough business. It's not setting the woods on fire, but it's doing decent enough business. Are you saying that his payday would have been the same had he showed up, did promos, did an angle, had somebody else take his spot, announce he's injured, you know, do some stick work, whatever. It would have been a lot better than staying at home, yes. Um, Because people
1: could have seen him, could have seen he made an effort to be there. Could have heard him cut a promo. You're you're getting, you're, you're still seeing him. But by him not being there and having to replace him, you've got to pay someone. Now you're paying someone to go and take his place, and you've got to pay them equally as well.
0: You don't think there's any consideration given to the fact that he probably tore his tricep wrestling? I don't know how he tore his tricep. And do you think he did
1: it walking his dog? I have no idea how he did it. I don't know if he did it working out at home. I don't know if he did it mowing the lawn. Don't know if he did it in a match. Regardless, you can still walk. You can still go get on a plane and you can still do your rehab and you can make towns and get out and go cut a promo. He didn't have laryngitis. I'm not, I can't argue any of that. That's fair enough. Talk to so me. If you want to go and you want to get that money and, you want, and you're unhappy with money that you're going to get sitting at home, go make the town, go make an effort.
0: Go shoot an angle. Go do something. Help me understand this. We hear stories like this later where Sean would not be happy with his payoff and would call a complaint events, and they just cut another check. Or Jericho would be unhappy. hear unhapp- stories about that. Sometimes that's happened. Sometimes it hasn't happened. Sometimes guys complain, and they get more money. Sometimes they complain, and he says tough shit. That's what I want to talk about. Where a guy complains and gets more money Is that Vince Vince kind of saying, okay, I have confidence in you. I want to keep this guy. I want to appease the – I see value in this guy, so I want to make it work. When he tells Rick Rude, go jump in a fucking lake, I'm not giving you more money, then it's like, okay, I'm done with you. I mean, I'm okay with living without you. I don't know. They told Rude go jump in a lake. They were
1: actively trying to keep him there and to be able to use him. Rick – on his end, wasn't working with him and going, you know what? I quit. I'm going to stay home. Okay, so you quit. You're not going to go make the towns, but you still want to get paid? Well, help me understand, though. So I quit, but continue to pay me like I was a top guy.
0: Maybe I lost my smile and forfeit the title right in okay. the middle uh, of a, a program where I'm going to have to lose at WrestleMania, and I'm just going to stand in the middle and give my belt back and limp away. Okay. And then come back in three weeks and do a moonsault and land on both feet and be fine. Yeah. That behavior is okay, and when he complains that and, get, okay. and gets uh, a and I didn't say that behavior was okay. But I'm trying to get an, an insight into the mind of Vince McMahon, where he can. He came arm. back in three weeks and
1: did a fucking moon salt, landed on his things, and then and then did come back and work. Okay, Worked through it. Continued to talk. Didn't say I quit. So here I'm, I'm losing. I've lost my style. Here's your uh, championship back. And then are you gonna say? To are you recap. gonna say in
0: all the years you were there, you never saw it? it that person we're not talking about right now say they quit of course you did sure they
1: did but they came back so my my point is is that had he not come back had he just sat at home and if it was under the same guys that it was back at this time time frame not under the downside guarantees contracts that he was under he being sean It was a different time in a different place. There were no downside guarantees. If you wanted to make money, you had to make the towns. That was just real life. That's the way it was.
0: There wasn't a downside guarantee. Well, so let's talk about that. This downside guarantee would have fixed situations like this. It did fix situations like this. So it's not necessarily all on rude. It It is at this time because
1: that didn't exist. That environment did not exist in the wrestling business.
0: The spirit of why the fucking downside guarantee is situations like this.
1: No, the spirit of a downside guarantee is Ted Turner offering huge guarantees no matter what you do. We offered a downside guarantee that gave you a minimum per year so you could be able to budget and know the least amount of money you're going to make per year.
0: I understand that, but I'm saying a downside guarantee would prevent shit like this. It would prevent the talent. I actually, from would big- encourage shit like this because then a guy says, "Okay, well, I'm hurt. I got to stay home. I'll still get my money." I get that in theory, but it also lets a guy know, "Hey, here's what I signed on for. I'm getting it. I, I, I know that they're going to get away with paying me just this." But in this situation, where there's no bottom line guarantee, there's no downside guarantee then it's okay. a matter of well i mean because you let's, yet- for,
1: let's for example say he had a downside guarantee let's say for example his downside guarantee was a hundred thousand dollars okay if he had already reached his hundred thousand dollars he's not getting shit
0: yeah i got it so what's the formula you've never shared it with us what's what formula well he's advertised on these shows he doesn't make them he still gets something you've harped on that a lot what is he getting? Whatever Vince decides to give him. That is the problem. Can we agree? No, it's not the problem, man. I mean, he's giving... If Vince is
1: sitting there and saying, okay, the guy's been advertised, we did all this stuff, he's hurt now. He's not going to make the show. He says he's quit. Okay? Right? That's what you said. He said he quit. So he's quit. He's staying at home. He's not going to make the towns. Well, hang we're on. Try, he we're quit when to. he wasn't
0: happy when the payoffs came, because he didn't feel like it was enough. Okay, but he still wasn't making the towns, and... Yeah
1: not working and cooperating. So it's like, okay, well, we'll pay him something to help him out because he's hurt. But if he had made the towns, he probably would have made more. If he had gone out and made the towns, gone out, cut a promo, shot some kind of an angle, get somebody else involved, the people in the arenas could have seen him go, okay, well, I saw him. He was there. He is hurt. But by not, that's bad will. That's, you know, and that was something that, I dare say hurt the WWF in a lot of respects over the years, especially in the early eighties, early mid eighties, when they would have guys that, uh, they would have shows advertised and you'd get there and half the card that was advertised wouldn't show up guys would be fucked up somewhere and, and half your card wouldn't show up and they'd be just putting shit together on the fly. And Vince trying to combat that was, you know, and, and guys didn't get, guys didn't get paid at all, but it was, it, it created a lot of, uh, bad will. If you with fans, with fans, because they would come and your main event and your roster wouldn't show up. All these guys that were advertised and cutting promos for weeks and weeks and weeks on TV, none of them show up. And that hurts. That hurts your business. Yeah. So not to have one of your top stars in the main event, that hurts your business. Sorry that he was not happy with what he got paid for sitting at home and not.
0: And there's no formula you can share. It's just whatever Vince wants.
1: Vince has a formula. I don't know what that is. I had a formula on how I did it when I would give my input into it. But at the end of the day, what was your formula at the, at the end? Of, I, very simple is 33% of the net. And that's what went to talent. Then you went on down the line and it's subjective. It's subjective on what you feel. What drew the house? 33% of the guys guys gross or the net
0: after you've paid for the, I venue? Said the net. Okay. So you pay the venue, you pay the taxes, uh, whatever the promotion is, blah, blah, blah and then the promoter and so here's the company's net take and you divvy that up 33 percent is there a piece of the 30 top 33 percent or that 33 percent that's that goes? at the
1: discretion of who's ever doing it okay that's discretionary and now they don't you know now I, I have no idea
0: with guaranteed contracts and the way these guys get paid now i have no idea how the hell they do it yeah it's fascinating to figure out uh because you you often hear that you know, old timers would take a peek through the curtain and look out in the crowd and they could kind of estimate what the house was and what their payday was going hey, to be by
1: the guy making the pays in the, the payoffs that
0: night. Sure. Um, after leaving the WWF, Rick wrestles on the independence and then goes to all Japan for whatever reason, he doesn't do his pre-match routine until the WWF contract expires. He wrestles on some big shows there in Japan before going to WCW uh, he's in WCW from October of 91 uh, until he suffered the career-ending back injury with Sting in May of 94. Uh, he was probably the top heel in the business and peaked in 1992. Um, he worked some notable feuds at the time with Sting and Ric Flair, Flair being the bigger one of the two that people really talk about these days. Uh, he was the United States champion uh, and the international champion. Um which was formerly the NWA world title. Uh, we all remember that as the big gold belt, but when all the shenanigans happened with Rick and the belt, uh, they got a new belt. And when they brought back the big gold, it became the international champion. Um, during a match in Japan where Rick defeats sting to win back that title, uh, sting did a flying body press from the inside of the ring to the floor on Rick and Rick caught him and fell back. Uh, the ring was actually positioned on an elevated platform, Uh, which a lot of us have seen in these matches in Japan. So when he catches Sting, he falls on the corner of the platform and really does some serious damage to his C4 and C5 vertebrae. Somehow, Rude manages to finish the match and even jump off the top rope, hitting hitting Sting with a knee drop to win the match. Uh, But that would be it. He would never have a wrestling match like this ever again. Uh, and it said that he had a lot of bad feelings for sting and blamed him for being careless and causing the injury. Uh, rude would even end up filing lawsuit against WCW for the incident. And this is the, uh, second year of his biggest contract ever. He's 35 years old and his career is cut short and changed forever. Second year of this biggest contract he's ever got 35 years old, maybe the height of his career. Um, And now it's just cut short to an end. Any comments? Any commentary? Yeah, it's sad. It's not ballet. And shit
1: happens. So it, it's just unfortunate. And you got two professionals in Sting and Rude out there. I don't blame Sting. You know, same thing happened to Sting with Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins in, in a WWE ring. It's, it's just unfortunate. It's a physical business,
0: and accidents happen. Uh, let me ask you this. Did Sting have a reputation at all? I'm not, I'm not throwing any allegation. I'm just saying we as fans don't hear that Sting was an unsafe worker or had some sort of bad reputation in the business, did he? I never heard that, no. Yeah.
1: Absolutely not. Sting had a reputation for being a good guy, and Sting was a good worker and a hard worker. I
0: never had heard anything about sting, hurting people in the ring. What's the protocol if you hurt a guy in the ring? Like what's, um, you know, we've heard about what you're supposed to call them and you go see them and blah, blah, blah. What is considered the, the proper way, uh, the customary way, the appropriate way to follow up with somebody after you've been involved in their injury? Depends on the human being. It depends on the person. I would think that people
1: would want to call and make sure that they were all right, see if there's anything they could do to help them out. Right. You know, what point do you, you say, okay, enough is enough, and, and you say you're sorry? Um, I think that's different for everybody. And it's also different for the person that, that's injured
0: and has the injury as to, to what they expect, too. Uh, it seems like his life really follows a lot of parallels with Brian Pillman in that when Pillman was really getting to the peak of his career and his earning potential, Uh, he has this injury and he never quite recovers. Uh, they both have, uh, a wife and a house full of kids and they both ultimately end their lives in very similar fashions. Um, all right, let's talk about some good stuff for a minute. Uh, let's talk about all the aspects of the ravishing record character. Um, Rick wore a big robe to the ring. Uh, was that WWF influence, or did he go do that on his no, own? No, Rude had done that from, from day one in his career, pretty much. And uh, Johnston comes up with the music. Yes. Vince puts him with Bobby Heenan. The preamble to the crowd, what I'd like to have right now. Rick Rude's influence, or is that somebody from Creative helping him with that, too? Well, we didn't have Creative then. That was probably Vince. Well, it was Vince path. Yeah okay um the kissing angle we talked about that probably probably uh, Vince. a Vince idea um the airbrush tights did that was rude uh, you said that was rude is, is that something this is super dumb but a lot of the guys in the business these days use the same seamstresses like there's a handful of folks that everybody uses to get their gear done for the most part i'm sure there are some exceptions here there but for the most part everybody's kind of using the same group of folks was there like a go-to airbrush guy in wrestling in the 80s Yeah, i have no idea I'm but sure. doesn't that make sense that there would be i mean it feels like rude probably got all of his stuff from well, the jimmy same guy had, and jimmy
1: hart had his guy rude i guess had his guy warrior. warrior had his guy sure um but most people just went and bought a pair of tights from carl and hildegard and got a pair of boots from clifford and houston and i'm a wrestler yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, well, Rude didn't do did. that. He went the extra mile. And um, it's one of the more iconic characters, which is why it won in a runaway here. Uh, we, of course, are going to spend more time on his WWF stuff than everything else. But let's touch on briefly, uh, he's out of the business uh, for a few years uh, and doesn't really do much at all uh, from 1995 and 1996. And then in early 1997, he starts doing some stuff with ECW were you involved at all? We've talked about the ECW WWF relationship, uh, and that episode is available for you in the archives. Do you recall having any sort of influence or involvement in getting him uh, a deal with ECW? No, sir. So that probably just came about uh, through Paul Heyman, who
1: Paul was Heyman a- and Rude went way
0: back, and Paul had managed Rude there, and yeah, they were old friends. <laughs> So he's programmed in uh, ACW with uh, Shane Douglas, does some stuff there, and then does some commentary uh, as well with Joey Styles in 1997. Uh, And he even works a match, believe it or not, as crazy as this sounds, uh, where he is in a a six-man with Tommy Dreamer and Sandman against Jerry Lawler, Rob Van Dam, and Sabu. And that happens in July of 1997. Uh, But then on the August 11th, 1997 edition of Raw, he appears as Shawn Michaels' insurance policy. I'm curious, how does this happen? And after the way things didn't end so well once upon a time, who called who? How did that come about? I got a phone call at my house in
1: Monroe, Connecticut, on Oakwood Drive, on a Sunday afternoon from Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon and Vince Russo were doing the creative and writing the television at the time, and Vince told me that he wanted me to call Rick Rude and get Rick Rude to TV the next day. I asked what, you know, what kind of deal we were looking to do. Vince was adamant. He did not want to do any kind of long-term deal with Rick Rude. He wanted him on a per-night basis, bring him in, uh, get him here. And we'll talk about everything else as, as time goes on. But we just wanted to do a per-night agreement with him, get him to Atlantic City, see what we got. So I called Rude, uh, not knowing what the hell to expect because there were a little bit in our past. We hadn't spoken in quite some time at that point, And explained that we'd like to bring him in for TV. Uh, don't know how long. Of a program we have for him. We would do a per-night deal with him. He couldn't work due to his Lloyds of London insurance. And let's see what happens. And got him there the next day. And so for every appearance subsequent of that, we had to have a release signed and a a per-night contract signed each day before he appeared.
0: (sighs) Now, the reason he spends so much time on that is because of what we're about to get into. Uh, A few months after his return, the original DX is formed. uh, And as everyone recalls, it was Rick Rude, China, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. Uh, And I'm sure we'll do a whole show about DX in the future. Uh, But was that the initial group that was planned, or did it all just kind of happen organically? DX happened organically. The idea of having... Rick Rude
1: there as the bodyguard was China was kind of the bodyguard for Hunter and Rude was the bodyguard for Sean and it just organically happened DX was something that came out of a promo where Bret Hart was talking about uh, Generation X and that Shawn Michaels and Hunter and China and those guys were, you're like
0: D-Generation X and voila It's born. Uh, So here we are now, November 17th. Uh, Now, let's run through this. He's debuting on August 11th. So we're September, we're October, we're November. We're three months later. Uh, Rick Rude shows up on a live edition of WCW Monday Nitro. Of course, as everyone remembers, Raw was airing a tape show that night. So Rude comes out early on Nitro with only a mustache and said that Shawn Michaels never beat Bret Hart. This is about a week after the Montreal screw job, And that Vince McMahon instructed a referee to ring the bell and rob Bret Hart of his title. And then an hour later, of course, as we all remember, Rude shows up on Raw wearing a beard. Uh, I don't know that everybody knows this, but it's of note that that weekend of November 14th through the 16th, depending when ECW's television ran in your market of syndication, uh he was on ECW's Hardcore TV as well. So inside of a week he's on ECW, WCW and the WWF. Uh probably the only person ever to do that. Uh at least on the same night. My goodness. So I want to know the story. Uh where did you see this? Were you at home watching? Um where were you when you first saw Oh shit, he's on both shows.
1: I was at the studios in Stanford, Connecticut. We were doing the live voiceovers for Monday Night Raw. So while the show was taped, the voiceovers themselves were live. And I
0: watched it on the monitor, live in Edit One. So when we hear live in Edit One, it sounds like it's uh, a bunch of soundboards and a bunch of monitors and a few chairs and some headsets, not unlike what we're doing right now. And Vince is to your left or to your right and sees him on the monitor and flips out? Or is he on commentary? Well, he's not on commentary. He's done by that point. So he's just. I believe the the first words uttered were motherfucker.
1: And then a lot of silence
0: and what the fucks. Did anybody take any heat over that? Or did Vince say, it was my call? Oh, God, I me. took a lot of heat over it, yeah. What's up? How, how could you let this happen?
1: We didn't have a contract. You know, during the whole time, the legal department was pretty adamant and, and suggested more than once that we tie him up and then we get him under a standard contract of some kind rick wanted guarantees in his contract and vince was not was not sure that he wanted to use rude for any extended length of time and was fine going with the the nightly proposition in addition to that wcw had no interest in rude prior to that and rude had also expressed that he had no desire to go there and then Montreal came along and everything changed.
0: Well, what change did this bring about for the WWF? It feels like this is a learning lesson for Vince McMahon and company because this would never happen again.
1: No, it, it, the the change was, you know, by God, man, if you're going to put somebody on television, invest a lot of time and money in them, have them locked up. And if they don't want to sign a contract, then cut them loose, cut ties. The you know the Jeff Jarrett thing, and and even going back before that, the Jeff Jarrett and Road Dogg deal. When they walked out in Nashville at that time, their con- contract was up, and they were they had they had limbo in in their contract. And then later on, when Jeff ran his contract out before Cleveland, it it just astonished me that we wouldn't have those bases covered and it was brought up and, and there was, you can say all you, you want. And Vince is a, a, absolute genius businessman. He's a genius creative, but sometimes he's guilty of taking people at their, at their word face value. And, still relies on a handshake.
0: Well, now Rude didn't do anything so you say that kind of implying that Rude did something wrong here. Well,
1: Rude indicate no, I don't think Rude did anything wrong. He said he, he took he him said,
0: at his word, which means he gave Well, he, back ga- on he
1: did give his word that he was he was there and he was good and this is where he wanted to be. Didn't didn't want to go to WCW, had no desire to go there. But shit changed at uh Survivor Series. Hey, it's business. All right, let's it's talk business. Let's- I don't
0: blame him for going at all. I probably would have done the same thing given the opportunity. You say shit changed at Survivor Series. Let's talk about that. Did shit change? There's rumor in innuendo that Rick Rude and Jerry Briscoe had an incident in Survivor Series 97. True or false?
1: Absolutely false.
0: Well, what changed at Survivor Series? Just the whole issue with Brett and Sean and the double cross. And And, and Rick took that personal.
1: I don't think he took it personal, but it opened up a door where rick i I don't know how many people knew but the new rick was on a nightly deal with wwf here's a guy who's just involved in their main event angle that just screwed Bret hart let's see if Rude would be willing to to come over well he doesn't have a contract well shit wouldn't you to me that was great business
0: for bischoff to steal him
1: for bischoff and for rude to go
0: uh, and he went for bigger money, I'm sure, than what you guys were paying him. Uh, Meltzer would report that he got a $300,000 deal uh, for, for three him. years. So he got he signed a $900,000 contract here to jump. Uh, that's probably, is it fair to say that's considerably more than he was making with the WWF at the time? Very much so. Um, I'm curious, as this DXO angle starts to get over between August and November... He came and asked for more money along the way, right? Well, whenever we would do our nightly deal, he
1: would always ask about, you know, kind of get some work and you know, what are we going to do?
0: Now, I've been I've been present when guys were doing one-offs before. They have to sign a one-night release. Is Correct. Rude signing a new one-night release every single time? Every single night. God, What a paperwork nightmare. Yes. Like, you don't want to let him go out there until you know you have that sign. You can't let him go out there until you know you have it. And signed. if you forget, I mean, he's got some leverage on you.
1: Oh yeah, no, that was—that's one thing that we did do. We were all over that and making sure that he
0: was signed. And these days they mail you a check. Back then, did they cut you a check right then? I want to say we paid him cash. Wow, day. yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I can't imagine in 2016 them just—I mean, maybe they do, and I don't know. I know we're 2017. You know what I mean? Just handing yeah. out handing out cash to yeah. show. Wow. Uh, so he goes to WCW. Um, Do you remember there being any hard feelings between Vince and Rude over that? There were hard feelings with
1: everybody over that, but you can't – when you remove yourself from the personal aspect of it and you just view it from a business standpoint, it was bad business on our part. Yeah. It was bad business to invest that time and that amount of money in someone that we did not have a longer-term contract on.
0: And there was no opportunity when you guys are in Edit 1 to try to go edit him out of the tape. No, I mean, we were in it. We were going live. There just wasn't time. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be questions about this. Obviously, that weekend, you know, he had done the stuff for ECW. You guys didn't have a problem with him doing ECW. But this WCW Nitro thing, totally different animal. One, one's okay and understood and everybody's cool. The other is Cardinal sin. Correct. Uh, it's reported uh, by Meltzer that at some time in late 98, early 99, uh, Roots started training for a comeback and had been in contact with the WWF, trying to pitch an angle. To work a feud with his real life buddy, Steve Austin. Uh, The holdup would be what kept him out of competition for all of 95 and 96 was a seven figure settlement from the Lloyds of London insurance policy he had. One of those Minnesota guys. We've talked about Lloyds of London in great detail on Mr. Perfect. Uh, If you want to go check that out, it's in the archives. Um, do you remember there being conversations about him coming back or trying to make an in-ring come back to work with Steve? I believe that, uh, Rick had contacted Jim Ross and I think that's about all it was, was conversation. There wasn't really much interest beyond that. Uh, if you're curious how he was able to work a six man tag, uh, animal had worked it out with Lloyd's of London where. He was able to return to the ring, but only in a, in a, tag, in a role. tag team match. He yes. could never do it as a singles. Now, that sounds as ridiculous as it sounds, but apparently the people at Lloyd's London uh, were not familiar with the wrestling business and what workers everyone could be. Uh, so he got paid. He never really did much in WCW, he being rude. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he was working just doing what was called... Backstage blast pay per view airings of Nitro on direct T V for WCW when he passes away at the age of forty. This is just really awful to talk about. Um, but it kinda is what it is if we're gonna tell the story of Rick Rude. Uh he died in alpharetta Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. Uh he had moved there, of course. Um when he started working with WCW because prior to that he had spent years and years in Tampa. Uh, he had just bought 20 acres in Rome, Georgia and started construction of a new house. His wife was only 33 years old when he passed away. Uh, he had three small children, uh, as well. And he had been training to do, uh, some like mixed martial arts, just trying to kind of test the waters. He wanted to be active and compete and do something. Um, Unfortunately, though, he passes away uh, on April 20th of 1999 uh, of an apparent heart attack. He was rushed to the uh, North Fulton Medical Center, and um, it's just weird to talk about all these guys, man, and you don't really know exactly what happens, but at the time, there were lots of rumor and innuendo that he had died of a possible drug overdose, and those rumors came out because... Uh, They found empty prescription pill bottles near his bed. Uh, The Fulton County Medical Examiner's Office, though, could not uh, give a specific uh, cause of death, so it was just viewed as mixed medications. Um, There's no good way to really talk about the business here because a, a lot of people are going to blame the business for deaths like these when a guy who's 40 and has three small children and is in really good shape and you know is building a house and just got himself a new truck and um has three small children when he dies just you know and he's in, obviously he looks like he's a, a million bucks is the business partly to blame for this do you think Bruce I hate blaming the business. I don't think that's fair. Uh,
1: there's more guys that are living and, and doing fine, and then there's a an unfortunate section, segment of the business, and, and especially during, I guess, this time period where guys abused their bodies. They uh, abused different drugs, abused alcohol. And you can look at other professions and, and say... You know, some people abuse alcohol, some people abuse drugs. It's just unfortunate, and it sucks, especially losing someone with a family, with a young family at such a young age. Yeah, There's just no way. There's there's not a good spin to put on it, but it's not fair to put it on the business.
0: On the afternoon that he passed away, uh earlier that day Root had taken his eight year old son Rank Junior to school and then attended that martial arts class and went to hit some golf balls. Uh at around five o'clock his wife Michelle returned home from shopping and found him on the floor barely breathing and with a light pulse. She called nine one one and he was barely uh revived in the ambulance before going into a coma and then suffering cardiac arrest in the hospital. And uh he left behind his wife, Michelle Uh, They married in 1988, and those three kids were Rick, Marissa, and Colton. Uh, Colton passed away in September of 2016 in Rome, Georgia, after a motorcycle accident. And there were just lots and lots of rumors at the time about what was involved and what wasn't involved. And for better or worse, uh, people linked uh, steroids to Rick Rude. They said that he had big arguments with uh WCW officials and doctors about it. He obviously testified in the steroid trial as well. Um and other wrestlers like Ric Flair have said that, you know, he had lots of prescription issues. Um but one of the things that was popular at the time and, and you never know what is or isn't anymore, but this doesn't seem like it's nearly as big of a deal as maybe it once was uh, but it's been reported that at that era of WCW, lots of guys were using uh, a drug called GHB. And there may be people who aren't super familiar with what that is, Bruce. Can you kind of catch us up on what GHB is? GHB is uh, chemical GABA hydroxyburitate,
1: I believe is how you say it. And it was a bodybuilding supplement that was created in Germany in the 80s. Uh, it was very big internationally, especially in Germany. The bodybuilders took it to help cut water weight and cut up their bodies. You, The intended usage for it was take a scoop at night before you go to bed. It would help relax you, and the benefits were that it would... Help you lose...
0: Burn calories while you slept. Well, yeah,
1: burn fat and burn calories and help cut you up while you slept. Um, It gave you a euphoric feeling. I took GHB. I liked GHB. It would give you a euphoric feeling, and if you took it as directed, I dare say that uh, I don't know that it would have caused any harm. I don't know any studies have ever been done. I don't think it did with me, but... Like everything else, whether it's drugs, alcohol, anything, if you abuse it, food, (laughs) you know, come on. If you abuse it, it can be dangerous for you. And there's a culture that, hey, if if one beer is good, then imagine what six beers is going to be like. Right. Six beers is really great. Oh, my God, I'm going to have 24. And it's the same thing with, with drugs. It's the same thing with, with anything that makes you feel, that alters your feeling. So if you know, one's good, 20 must be great. And guys started to use it and abuse it. By the 90s, they had regulated this this drug so much more because people were making the stuff in their bathtubs. And people were using floor cleaner and industrial floor cleaner. Imagine that. Uh, drinking a cap full of floor cleaner to get a high. It, it got to be that crazy because it had this gaba hydroxyburetate in it. And there was a lot of abuse and just a lot of usage, All not just in wrestling. It was, man, I had a, a few baseball player friends that said it was absolutely the rage in Major League Baseball amongst the guys because it helped them sleep and helped, you know, right. it helped them go to sleep. And by God, they could eat all they wanted to eat like shit. And then burn fat at night while they, while they slept. Um, so it wasn't just a wrestling problem, uh, problem. In addition to that, it became the date rape date rape drug where guys would slip it to girls in bars and the girl wouldn't have any recollection. They'd black out, not have any recollection of what happened. And, that's where the whole date rape thing came in. So, not a, not a real good supplement. I think its initial intent was valid and had some merits, but anytime you abuse something, and it can become dangerous.
0: Uh, his friends, uh, when he passed away, had named two particular steroids that he uh, used parabolin and primabolin that he was heavily into. I probably butchered the pronunciation there my apologies uh
1: you and i are both big steroid guys
0: oh for sure there's lots of um rumor and innuendo about rudes passing away and this feels really weird to talk about but i got hit with this dozens of times so i'm gonna ask and you're probably gonna say it's ridiculous um have you heard specifically anything about the honky-tonk man and his theory here no Allegedly, somewhere, honky-tonk man did an interview or a shoot interview and was asked how Rick Rude died. And Honky said that uh, Rude thought he could cure his erectile dysfunction by injecting Viagra directly into himself, into his penis. And this apparently caused an infection, which resulted in an amputation. And he believed Rude killed himself. And as silly as that sounds, Kurt Henning wrote a letter to his friend that was made public and he was adamant rude did not kill himself and when there's these empty prescription bottles near him and he dies so young people start to say oh maybe he killed himself and uh at one time before he died there were rumors that rude had testicular cancer which Meltzer says was not the case But he did have a recurring medical problem due to complications in that area from a steroid shot taken in the early 90s while on a WCW tour of England. Um, So there's lots of rumor and innuendo that he had an issue down there. And that is what got some of this suicide talk, you know, percolating.
1: I think it all sounds extremely silly to me, and from what I know of Rick Roode, he was not the type of guy that would even consider
0: suicide. Have you ever heard anything as silly as guys injecting Viagra into their penis? No. I know that, um, I've never heard of a guy taking a steroid shot down there either. Can you imagine doing that? No. But I do know that adult film stars before Viagra was around would give themselves a shot in the peter. So I'm in the loop on that, and I don't know how to pronounce the thing, but it's like caverjacked or caverjacked or something like that. I only know that from an old Ron Jeremy documentary, which is kind of funny if you haven't seen it. Um But catch me up on this theory. Had you ever heard this before? No. This is all brand-new information to you? Yes. So you're going to chalk this up as bullshit, rumor, and innuendo? A lot of rumor and innuendo. Okay.
1: I mean, I, I spoke with Rick's wife the day after – uh she found him, and she she had indicated the prescription bottles and uh, just the fear that due to injuries, and I guess he had been in an automobile accident recently. Yeah, a couple weeks before. That he might have just overdone it um, and be an accidental overdose. But to think that Rude would have left his kids and left his wife, that just wasn't in his makeup.
0: Yeah. I don't believe it. Um, Michelle Rude uh, was quoted in The Observer as saying, Vince always treated my husband very well. He goes by talent. Some other promoters didn't go by talent. Rick spoke what he felt. A lot of promoters didn't like that. Vince respected that and understood that. Others didn't and held it against him. Uh, So I want to kind of ask you, what do you think Rick's legacy in wrestling is today?
1: I think his legacy is and will always be. you know, The only guy to be on Raw Nitro on the same night. And out of everything that he's done, the matches with Jake, the matches with Warrior. uh, For me, he made the ultimate warrior. Um, I agree. That his legacy, what people are mainly going to remember is that's the guy that appeared on both Nitro and Raw live in the same night.
0: Isn't that a shame, though? Because he was capable of so much more and it was taken away from him. It's sort of like people remember Pillman. For pulling a gun on Raw. Right. And there were so many, much more that happened and that he could have done, and it was all just taken right. away from us. Yeah. It's a sad story. Uh, Kurt Henning's letter is out there, and uh, it's a really, really good letter. Uh, throw it in your Google machine. I don't know that I should read it here, but uh, it's really good. And if you're a fan of Mr. Perfect or Ravishing Recruit, and obviously you are if you've been listening to our more recent shows, uh, you should check it out. Um, anything else we want to kind of touch on this week about ravishing Rick Rude? I got one story. You know what? I know what story you're going to tell before you get there. Let me ask this about Vince McMahon. Do you think one of the reasons I'm just freestyling here? Do you think one of the reasons he has not been in the hall of fame before now is any sort of resentment? About the way the nitro thing happened, or is it simply he didn't want to put someone who died of an apparent drug overdose in just for the bad PR? Neither. None of those. Because he has. I mean. Well, but what, why, why did it take so long know, to do I
1: mean, he's put Perfect in, he's put Big Boss Man in, there, there's a lot of guys that he has. I don't know. I really don't know. That Look, you can't, again. That's an that's exercise in really trying to apply logic to an illogical situation.
0: When guys go in. Hey, when, who, and how. Yeah. Just uh, frustrating. I, we I, have lots of requests about wanting to talk about that uh, selection process, but you can't apply any logic to it, so there's nothing to really talk about, there's, right? Unfortunately,
1: there's not. It's whatever is in the mind of, of Vince and Kevin Dunn at the time. And it's crazy, and there's not, there isn't a rhyme or reason. I'm sure that in, in Vince's head there is, sure. But from having, you know, going to a lot of us and getting our suggestions and and our input, and then almost you could take the uh, the ballot. Let's call them ballots, because they would ask certain people, "Hey, give me a list of." Uh, 10 people that should be in the hall of fame this year. And if you were to calculate that and you were to look at it and read and and calculate it, I would dare say each year, and I have no idea how they do it now or, or what that process is. But back when I used to see everything that out of, the submitted ballots that maybe five percent made it in. Oh wow! And, and like in that in that time frame when they were looking to submit ballots, just total some some names would go in every single time and just get ignored. Like Macho Man, Macho Man Howard Finkel. Uh, there were a lot of dusty that just for whatever for unknown reasons you'd ask and. Not the right time. Hmm. If not now, then when, you know, what? when the fuck is the right time? And, you know, Freebirds. Just Long the, the, list, the yeah. list goes on and on of without any real plausible uh, explanation or rhyme or reason as to how that process is done. And it, it can be frustrating. I can only imagine the fans' frustration. Imagine if they did a fan ballot, kind of like they do. I guess they do with baseball. I don't know how the hell they do that. What if you did a fan ballot Yeah, and allowed the uh, the people that actually watch your product week in and week out, uh, subscribe to your network and love the history of the business? What if you allowed them to cast a vote for the Hall of Fame? I think you would have a much different Hall of Fame picture. You know, Bruno forever yeah Uh, warrior forever savage forever
0: um honky tonk man forever Uh, it's no wahoo mcdaniel no yeah no recruit no uh well let's let's you know we touched it once i don't know that we'll do it again before hall of fame season should china go in this year no too fresh okay she should go in sure she should go in she will go in uh, let's get to, uh, let's end on a high note. You know, we're talking about all the negatives. Let's talk about something that's kind of fun. You have maybe one of the best Rick Rude rib stories of all time. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Let's hear it.
1: All right. Well, this little ditty takes place sometime in after WrestleMania nine. And the WWF had just embarked on a European tour, uh, France, Germany, England, and I had been gone for, I don't know, 10 days on the road without my bag. They lost my bag early on, and I traveled all throughout Europe uh, having to buy clothes in a French department store. It was grand, let me tell you. So we, we fly back, and when we fly back home... Uh, Pat and I were together, and everybody was waiting on us. We get in a limousine, and we drive to Poughkeepsie, New York, to record television. Now, I'm not going to mention names as to who else was a passenger in the vehicle that night. Trying to protect the innocent here a little bit. But we had our television taping in Poughkeepsie, and we're finishing up, and we getting the limousine to drive home, and we stopped, and we had some dinner. We had quite a few cocktails, and then uh, there was quite a bit of libation and alcohol flowing freely in in the car on the way back when all of a sudden the suggestion was made, why don't we call Jim Barnett? Now, those of you asking who the hell is Jim Barnett, Jim Barnett is an old wrestling promoter. That started in Chicago, went to Australia, New Zealand, opened that up, and was the brains behind the Superstation WTBS and Atlanta Championship Wrestling, one of the original owners. So Jim was a unique character, kind of looked like Mr. Magoo, and had a distinct uh, speech pattern. Oh, my boy, Conrad, you're my favorite. What's the dirt? And Jimmy loved Jimmy loved dirt he he loved to talk about what's happening in the business and what what are the boys doing? what are they talking about? Oh God, what a bore So the suggestion was hey, let's call Barnett because Vince used to call Barnett after Madison Square Garden shows, and he would start the conversation, Jim, oh my God, the garden was great. We drew and hang up call back, so what do you think, Jim? I mean, can you believe that he actually said that? I didn't hear, Vince. You said that the house was, and then I couldn't hear you after that. What what did you say? Well, the house was, and then that son of a bitch said that you, and hang up. And this would drive Barnett insane. And then the next day, he would be the first one in the office waiting for people to show up so he could find out what the house was and what the hell whoever was saying about him. Get all that to say that we called Jim Barnett. And Barnett didn't answer the phone. We got his answering machine. So then the suggestion is made, hey, I know what, why don't we call Dusty? So... Called Dusty. Now this is on a speakerphone in a limousine, and they dialed Dusty, and conversation might have gone a little bit, you know, like this. Hello, Dream. How you doing, pal? It's look, and I don't want to mention his name, but he said his name, and Dream said, "Who is this?" It's, and they said their name, so. Dream hangs up. Call back again. Hello. Dream. A oh, damn pal. And Dusty hangs up second time. Call back third time, phone's off the hook. Dusty's not answering. So it's like, "Well, can you believe that shit? You know, Barnett's not home. He's not answering this guy's call. Dusty's not talking to him." And then someone in the car makes a suggestion. "I know." What if we had the dream call Barnett? And everybody's laughing because they, they figure that uh, for some reason that I might do a decent Jim Barnett. I mean, uh, Dusty Roads. So we phone Jim Barnett back and I get on the phone. And I'm like, Jim there. Jim there. Jim there. It's a dream, baby. Pick up the phone. Jim there, the American dream, Deathly Road. Pick up the phone. I need to talk to you, baby. I got an idea. Jim there, I know you there. You listening, baby. Come on now. And the longer it went, the more gross and uh, sophomoric that it got. And out of respect, Mr. Barnett, I'll just kind of leave it at that. So leave a few messages like that on Jim Barnett's machine. Uh, This is shit that high schoolers do. And it's a bunch of grown men in a limousine <laughs> and calling people. So at this point, there's someone in the car, and, and they make a suggestion. Say, "Well, well, goddamn! I got the WCW direct line list. I got all their home phone numbers. I got all their direct lines. We just call their direct lines." What if Dusty called Ted Turner? Yeah, mm-hmm. Dig it. So, we got the list and started calling people in CNN Tower. And Dusty started leaving messages. Teddy, baby, it's a dream. Listen, I got some big ideas, baby. Gonna need a little more money. Um, But when I get in tomorrow, you and I need to get together and, you know, hibernate and talk about some issues and might have called Jack Petrick and left all kinds of messages. And somewhere in this conversation and in this litany of phone calls, someone says, hey, let's call Rick. Well, me, I'm inebriated, I'm extremely tired and exhausted and any other excuse that anybody can think of, just go ahead and throw it on in there. I'm like, okay, great, but in my mind, I'm thinking we're gonna call Rick Flair, cause Rick and I go back, and I'm figuring, hey, you know, Rick, uh, Rick'll be a good sport. I call, answers phone, hello, Ricky baby, hey baby, it's the dream. Listen, listen baby, I'm I'm a little fucked up right now. Had a few beers, been out of the bar, I'm in a little, my little red convertible Mercedes. I'm heading home. This Shelly, and everybody, but I got an idea I wanna run by you. So how about you come on into the office in the morning, but I need you to get there early before anybody else. Alright? I don't want anybody to see you. So come on in to the to the office early in the morning, baby, and and, and I'll be in and we'll talk about it because I want to present it to you. I'm a little fucked up right now. A little fucked up. Had a few bills. I want to present it to you in person and, and, and see the look on your face when I tell you this idea. All right, Dream. I'll see you in the morning. All right, baby. Listen, don't tell anybody about this. Don't talk about this at all. I'll just see you in the morning. We'll talk. I'll pitch you this idea. You're going to love it. By the way, you're going to love it, baby. It's going to be great. It's awesome. Oh, God, this is one of the best lightning bolt hit, man. Just a shoop out of the sky. And I said, oh, this is it. I got to call him right now. So I'll talk to you in the morning, baby. Get get you some rest. All right. So this happens, and uh, don't think anybody, nobody talks about it, nobody says anything about it. About a week later, I'm at TV. Lex Luger walks up to me and he says, "Man, you got coconut balls." I said, "Well, thank you, Lex. I'm glad you noticed." <laughs> he says, "No, man, you've got some fucking giant balls." So what are you talking about and he says well ribbon rick rude i didn't rib rick rude why the fuck would i rib rick rude i don't have a death wish and he says well uh apparently he called him and he impersonated dusty and asked rude to go down to the office and uh Meet him early in the morning, and and Rude went down there, and no Dusty, and Dusty didn't show up till like eleven thirty, in the morning. Rude was fucking livid. They they found out it was you calling and pranking everybody in in Atlanta. About this time, Randy Savage is walking up. Well, hey, Randy, come here. And Luger's telling his story, and Randy gets this look on his face like, Oh, yeah, I meant to talk to you about that, brother. Uh, You remember last week, Poughkeepsie, and we were riding back, and, you know, started making calls, and you might have made a few calls. Who the fuck did I call? Well, Barnett, I, I semi remember Barnett. Did Turner uh, a bunch of people WCW Rick Rude? I said, "Whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute." I actually called Rick Rude. Yeah, brother, I meant to tell you about that because you were you were a little gone and uh, oh shit. And Salugar's so like, "Yeah, Rude's gonna kill him." So Randy Savage and I go. Randy says, "Brother, don't worry about it." Oh shit! Did I say Randy Savage's name? I hate when that happens. And Randy and I go to the pay phone, wherever the hell we are. And Randy calls Recruit. And it's like, hey, brother, how you doing? Yeah, macho man. Uh huh. Yeah, well, uh, how's everything going? How's your boy? Ah, oh, good, good, good. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, uh, how's everything else going, brother? And I go, huh? I just. Hey, tell me something. Uh, had any early morning meetings with the dream lately? And now Randy is holding the phone away from his ear, making faces like he's getting punched in the face then sticking his finger in his eyeball like somebody's gouging, gouging out his eyeball and pulling his face apart and going like, Oh, God, ow. Ooh. And he says, Hey, brother, uh, listen. I was in the car and and... The rib wasn't exactly on you. It was really on Bruce Pritchard, and he didn't know who he was calling. He might have been led to believe he was calling somebody else. and Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, well, no, no, brother, no. But there was never any intent really to rib you. And no one thought you would ever show up. And he's like, yeah, well, I did, and so on and so forth. He says, well, as a matter of fact, uh, I got him right here and he'd like to talk to you and randy just hands me the phone and i take the phone I'm like hey rick how you doing and he hit me with a litany of fuck yous and i'm gonna kill you and all kinds of good stuff and rip my eyeballs out and i just tried to explain I said, rick in a million years um i thought i was calling somebody else i thought it was flair and knowing flair being in charlotte flair it wouldn't be in uh, atlanta to make a meeting so that was ludicrous in and of itself but i would never rib you man i'm sorry and he's uh, rude goes on to tell me about how he paced all night got to the office at six o'clock in the morning had breakfast and then dusty doesn't show up till 11 o'clock and when dusty shows up he walks in and everybody's pissed off at dusty and everybody's talking about uh Dusty leaving messages all night. I'm thinking this son bitch just got fucked up and I want to kill Dusty. And I said, look, sorry. What can I do to make it better? Fuck you. We'll go. And you kind of ended it with, you know, hey, what goes around comes around. I said, well, sorry you feel that way. Um, I hope one day, (laughs) you know, we can we can make this better. And, And he left the indication that it would never be better. And uh, then I fast forward to that to that fateful day before Atlantic City TV when I called them and everything was cool. When we saw each other in Atlantic City, we hugged and, and actually had a good laugh about it. But uh, it was a little insane. It was a little intense for a while because I, I would check itineraries to make sure there was no one with the name Richard Rude on any of my flights.
0: Or <laughs> <laughs> anything like that going forward for a long time. Well, there you go. Uh, A great Rick Rude rib to send us out here today. Uh, We hope you enjoyed what happened when Ravishing Rick Rude came to the World Wrestling Federation of something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff
1: brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,